Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. <laughs> and I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Secrets of Azeroth event and how it relates to kind of like ARG-type stuff in games, like non-super well-signposted stuff. Before we do that, pretty much for the folks at home, what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games and a tried-and-true game that we have been playing for. You know, you know what is also nutty? The amount of time that we have been playing... World of Warcraft, Warcraft yeah, uh, yeah, together, yeah. Um, you know, World of Warcraft is interesting. I'm very off WoW right now, um, as I've mentioned in uh, recent recent times. Um, but I did finally sort of log back in for like more than an hour um, for this event, for the Secrets of Azeroth event, which I think is really interesting. Um, and I guess that's I guess that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So just just uh, for context, I'm uh, I'm on the pitch this episode, um, mostly because so I found myself really enjoy. So, the, sorry. Let's give three bits of context. There are three parts sure. to this event. There's the core in-game secrets of Azeroth. There is community posts that lead to piles outside, which plays much more like an ARG. And there's a second ARG community level thing, which is about finding clues to like do a bunch of stuff with a group to then go get a mount. I have done the I did I've done all the secrets of Azeroth. I've done the amount of community notes things to get the pet and I have not done the the group thing yet. Um, but I did do the of uh, the relevant event in game to get the feet of strength that was associated with it, uh, which was in Valdraken. Um, and I found myself uh, really enjoying the secrets of Azeroth. Um, and but like not as much enjoying the the, the other two aspects, um, the community one in uh, particular, since I actually did that. Um, and uh, I think it can kind of be boiled down into a couple of things, um, one of which is that like the Secrets of Azeroth core bit was in the game itself. Even and it, it doesn't play out like traditional World of Warcraft quests for the most part. They hand you like an item with a description and you have to go find it without like a quest marker. Um, which uh, I thought was, which I thought was, I found super compelling and found like fun to do on my own time. However, I did not ha like as soon as I heard that you had to go like hunt down social media posts. I was like, I'm just gonna look it up on Wowhead, um, and did that for the community level stuff. I had a similar reaction, gut reaction to the uh, to the it's called Mimron Jumpjet stuff, but I haven't done that yet just because I had to go find a group, and that's that's a second level here, right? Like there was one community post that required finding people to do, and I hated it. And I basically ended up LFGing it and making that work. Um, just it was two people, two other people rather. Um, uh, but uh, I was kind of puzzling over uh, my reaction to that. What I thought made successful versions of all these things. And buddy, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to speak on this. How much have you done, and how have you felt about all of it? Okay, so I've done maybe the first twelve. Um, I thought I rem I saw that there was a feat of strength associated with it. And I was like, well, I want that, right? So I logged in and I started doing all of them in order. Um, and then I was seeing this stuff because it's all based in Valdraken, right? And I was seeing this stuff in Valdraken. And then I watched a bunch of people get the feat of strength because I was just in Valdraken when they got it. And I was like, oh, I understand. The feat of strength isn't to do all of these secrets. It is just to do this one version of this like one event before like the the thing is over so then i just swapped i did i did that my intention is to finish the secrets of azeroth sort of quest chain because um even though i was following uh like the wowhead stuff pretty directly um i you know i was having a good time with it to be honest mostly i'm just on the level of like reading the quest text and like 
I don't know, following this cute sort of minor story that's that's un you know be being like unveiled or whatever. You have these preservationists um, who are sort of a minor faction throughout you know throughout Dragonflight, and they're trying to track down these like important pieces of uh, of like lore, almost like as like a quest chain. That was just like fun and interesting and engaging, right? There's like there's a lot of stuff about like oh you're gonna go to one of the contacts and it's a woman with you know it's a it's a goblin at the at the barbershop who specializes in tinfoil hats but the tinfoil hats are thinking it's like that kind of stuff it's was was fun and engaging um and then i also did like the the toys right they had these toys that you had access to um and the toys gave you different ways to engage with the world in order to solve these quests which i thought was very fun i didn't do, end up doing anything with the the community outside of the stuff uh surrounding this feat of strength um though i do vaguely know of the community notes and memorize jump gents and all that stuff yeah, um, so just call it in the chat. Lou says, this event made me want to be a preservationist. I need an RP character who does this now. Um, that uh, that makes sense. Oh, Lou says she made you a, a jump jet thing. Which is That's true. I did do one of the jump jet things just because I was in voice with people and they needed a oh. body. And so I just showed up and I did it for for that. So that is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I I need to do them all just because, like, like I said, it requires a group. Um, uh, but it's uh, – so I agree with you. The preservation storyline is, is cool. But I – I don't know. There is, this is like a thing that gets talked about with modern games, right? Is like, you know, how much handholding do you need for a player and how much is appropriate, how much is frustrating, right? Like, um, like famously, like Dark Souls doesn't really tell you anything about anything and you just kind of have to go find it. This was really kind of most prominent in Elden Ring because you mm. had like a, a, like a wide area to explore and you got suggestions of things, but not a lot of... Um, not a lot of direction with like one or two examples of like some very, very occasionally somebody would mark something on your map and only if it was like really hidden somewhere. Uh, but most of the time it's just like, I'll be, you know, like find me, you know, like some mystery and you have to go figure out what the answer that rule is or look it up online. Um, and similarly here, uh, or it's, most things in World of Warcraft are like you hit a button and it's like fly to this point and, uh, you know, hit, you know, collect seven foozles and deliver it to the quest giver. This one was like, here's the quest. Here's a, you know, a note that says, like, you know, uh, like the, the first one to avoid major spoilers is like, this spear belongs to somebody in Northrend, right? Um, and so uh, I flew out there, I talked to one of the Tusk or to a Tuscar in Northrend. I t talked to a Tuscar, it's like, you need to talk to this Tuscar. And so I talked to that Tuscar, and, and she was like, ah, there's a, there's a statue to this guy over there, and, uh, you know, Here's a, here's a screenshot of the statue, essentially, right? Um, and I thought that was very cool. The only thing I looked up there was, like, you know, where is, like, like they named an area, and I was not familiar enough with the map, and I didn't feel like pixel hunting to get, like, you know, it wasn't one of the names on the map. It was, like, you know, I looked up approximately the area that was in, and I did that all manually because it wasn't super long, um, uh, and I could find it. And basically, they all play out like this, right? Sometimes they have a little bit more help. You get these, you get, like, a toy that gives you a coordinate system, that like he's like you know if you set your coordinate system here and you go like five four you will find a thing um and similar kind of re revealed toys which you know i found uh enter entertaining and that all um that all kind of like resonated with me and felt fun to play with um 
I can, I wonder how much of this too is like, you know, I felt like it was fun, but it was also like, not like I, it's not like if I, I couldn't figure it out, one, I couldn't go look it up, and two, it was like a thing I needed to be ready for raid, right? Like, you know, it's, you know, it's a, a mountain of hat. Um, yeah, so I think in general, I like the approach. There's two pieces of it that I thought was, um, that I thought was good. One is I like the approach that um, you build half of the, the event around just solo stuff, right? Something you can do on your own, that you, uh, puzzles that you can solve on your own that are reasonably, like, difficult, but, like, also it is not built to be, you know, like a deep, crazy mystery to go through, right? It's just, oh, hey, here's the thing. You're going to get pointed in the right direction. Here's what it's like to be pointed in the right direction. Here's some stuff to help you figure it out. But I think, like, any reasonable person, um, you know, like, outside of maybe, like, little kids, I would probably expect, could do this series of quests without too much trouble, right? Um, and even if they do have trouble, they can go to they can go to Wowhead. I was doing them pretty effortlessly. Again, I was doing them with Wowhead like open. Um, and generally, anything that required me to use the toys, I was just kind of doing. Um, I don't know. I was just kind of doing them by hand because it's not like I'm going to sit there and like micromanage it or whatever. Um, but literally, any time I ever really got stuck, I just went and I looked it up on on wowhead on my other screen because like i thought i was up against a timer right and i needed to finish yeah. all of this stuff that night kind of thing um which i think is good and then the other part the the other part of the quest or the other part of the event seems to be the big stuff that's built around being really esoteric and tough to figure out um and that's the stuff that sounds like you found really frustrating well not even frustrating like so the stuff that says esoteric it like it, I think part of it was just like that wasn't in game and it had to be found, right? Like, like the community sure. update stuff was like somebody would tweet, you know, some an official account would tweet like "great day to hang out in Eastern Plaguelands," right? And a screenshot of Eastern Plaguelands. It's like, one, I don't want to go check all the things to figure out where that is. Two, I do not know the map well enough to go find where that is. And and three, I do not care enough to go find that. Like that is not fun to me to go find that stuff by myself. So I will. And, like, it's not like there's a good, like, middle way to do that, right? It's not like – it's not like like the core stuff where it's, like, you know, and go, like, 7-5 from here. And, or, like, you know, the clues that were, like, you know, find three caves in this area, right? Like, you know, it was – that I could, like, reasonably stumble over at my leisure. It was, like, here's a screenshot. That's where it is. Figure it out. And it's not like somebody – like, theoretically, Wowhead could, like, develop, like, a medium hints guide that gave you, like, you know – uh, in-game style hints, but nobody does that. Everybody's like, the, the the options are figure it out yourself or, like, you know, go get the coordinates from Wowhead and plug it into TomTom, right? Um, and when faced with those two options, I took the coordinates and plugged it into TomTom. Um, yeah, so my steel manning of that side of things is that I don't think that's built for, like, a single like to me that's the stuff that's for the secret finding discord and like the hardcore people into this. Because have you ever done any of the other secrets in, in WoW? Um... Like the, there's a, there's like, I think it's called like Waking Nightmare or whatever. It's like a special mount. There's a couple of these. Um, but uh, they are, there's simply like one in expansion. I don't think I've, I think I'm, I may have done one of them at some point. Oh, like I did the Hand of 
Ningelmacht or whatever, the, the gold hand mount from Shadowlands. Which oh yeah, okay. That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty similar. Yeah. So it's just like the. I, I think those are built for really hardcore secret finding communities. Uh, the the WoW secret finding Discord is like a real thing, right? Yeah. Like it's big. It's got like I don't know, probably like a hundred thousand members, right? Like it's just got a huge number of people. Um, and they kind of collectively tackle these things and just sort of brute force it through like the collective will of a thousand a hundred thousand you know monkeys at typewriters you know what i mean that kind of thing yeah. uh like there have been some that have been truly esoteric in the past um the people have had a hard time sort of figuring out um you know there's one where it get it, you you do this whole set of things and then it creates a giant grid that's like 20 by 20 or something like that and you can connect nodes on the grid to one another um and uh and they had to figure out what to draw on the grid and the answer was like a gear like if you draw if you drew a gear you um you progress to the next piece of the secret and it's like the only way you find that stuff out is just with like raw manpower basically right, right. Yeah. um i feel like that's what the community posts were were sort of there it's like it is the secret finding puzzle for a a hardcore group setting um, that's in like one of these sorts of that's in one of these sorts of discords. Um, I'm not sure that that's good or bad to be honest with you, because um, like on one hand I almost want to like protect that um, in a way. Uh, so, I have so, this thought. Okay, go for it. So so two things. One, the chest is surprised for it were pretty lame. Um, the thing that was like there's a pet that you could get from it is like from doing like ten of the twelve of them, which is. Fine. Okay. The thing that's sure. weird to me is that, like, I feel like the secrets finding thing was the Memorons jump jets, right? Like, that was, like, the hardcore, the more hardcore thing. This thing okay. was, like, recognizing area. Like, the, like the community notes thing was the thing that I theoretically could have, like, I feel like somebody who has been playing for as long as we have um, and had enough experience with the map could reasonably figure these things out. It just wasn't interesting to me right like i mean and maybe there was like maybe you needed the group effort to find where the post was you know scour like i think a couple of them were like non-standard backgrounds on like the website or something um sure which maybe required a little bit of like a team spotting um but uh um and and again and it were, something i, I want to point out is like i'm not saying that this community thing was bad it just wasn't a thing that i found to be fun Right? Like, I, I do not have fun from being like, I recognize that area, I can go figure it out. Um, uh, but um, that, 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 I guess that's my, my point on that. I could continue with what you were saying. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually do sort of feel you. Because um, I think I agree. Probably, yeah, I'm be it's a better description for the Mimram jump jet things. Um, uh, because, yeah, because the thing I want to sort of defend about this is like, there are big ARGs that work along these lines, uh, and they are fun and interesting to sort of, like, decode. Uh, like, when I think of Five Nights at Freddy's lore, I think of this stuff, right? The reason it is fun to watch a MatPat video about FNAF lore is because a lot of snap FNAF lore gets delivered in this you know, like, in this sort of way, right? And the process, it's almost like, it's almost like a I don't know, it's almost like a speed run video or something like that, but like it almost in like an opposite sort of sense. The someone breaking down the process by which this thing was discovered is really interesting and fun to me, right? Um, 
and uh, and I just sort of I like I I, I want to protect that that feeling in a way. I I feel like mildly protective of it, but I think I probably agree with you that the community notes are pro- the piece of this that hits the worst um, and feels the most. Uh, I don't know. Satchels were testing how to link social media with in-game content in an engaging fashion, and I'm either not the audience for it or this wasn't a good way to do it. Not sure which. Yeah, that's that's maybe also sort of true, right? Um, it the one thing about the secrets, uh, the secrets of Azeroth event that I thought was really interesting was how much of an event it is, right? This is sort of the biggest version of this where there's like a real sort of rollout. Um, Compared to basically every other secret, I mean, I don't know the in the first one. I think is in Warlords. The first true secret is in Warlords, um, which was very quiet. Then there's the one. Then I think there was one in Legion, which is maybe the one that I did, which was Waking Nightmare. Then there was one in Battle for Azeroth that I think was the Hive Mind Mount was a was a secret mount or whatever um and then in shadowlands it kind of got officially adopted into some stuff because of the hand right like the 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 special hand mount stuff from 9.1 that was that was i think secret stuff um and then we sort of we sort of get this and it seems like over time those secrets have gotten more and more pronounced i guess uh when i lay them out kind of side by side yeah so I, i think part of this is also that like the first example of this was actually like wall jumping in class or, you know, in, in vanilla, right? And finding mm. out things that were behind things or like figuring out how to like, you know, raise your spirit so that you could like not die from fatigue and like go out to the little island beneath the compass, right? Like um, uh, that like, you know, didn't actually have any in-game rewards to it, but it was like, like uh, uh, grabbed the people who were just kind of into that explorey type of stuff. And I, I, I my, my guess is, is that um, I should look up the what what is the release date of uh, Warlords of Draenor as compared to 2014 and what is the release date of Destiny because you know who's the master oh, of this bullshit 2014 right September 9th 2014 Activision or Blizzard Bungie Bungie is the master of this ARG bullshit right um, and Activision pu- published Destiny 1 um, and so I wonder if this is like somebody who's like, why don't we take all this like weird energy that we get behind, like finding things that are unintentional, they're like dev artifacts essentially, and make it into something real, um, like the Bungie people do, right? And I'm not saying that there's necessarily something like there was explicit communication there, but it wouldn't surprise me if like that, that kind of thing floated across transoms, right? Because Destiny has this kind of stuff, right? Like weird, obscure stuff that you do to get like, um, uh, weapons right like you can even get like exotics out, out of this right like um and you know it's system it, it is systematized enough that like you know there's communities that pop up around it and you read the guide and you go do it right like honestly you, you've done the raids with us like the raids are like this right like the raids do not have explicit mechanics people have to go figure out how to actually fucking do the raids because they're so obtuse right um so it wouldn't surprise me if if that was kind of like the genesis of a lot of this stuff in wow was uh you know seeing the success that Bungie has had with it, because um, I don't know if you remember, but, like, I think, like, like when we were in high school, like, there were, like, Halo secrets that involved, like, people walking out into the woods and finding, like, tubes with, like, papers in them. Um, uh, so, you know, it's... Uh, obviously, WoW has not gotten that crazy yet, but, um, you know, it was a thing. I mean, even even going back to, like, you know, uh, 
one of the earlier mainstream things was um, the promotion for the was it the Aqua Team? There was a promotion for like a Adult Swim thing that got called in as a bomb threat in Boston um, when we were in high school. If if you remember this at all. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find this. Uh, yeah, so on the morning of January 31st, 2007, the Boston Police Department and the Boston Fire Department mistakenly identified a battery-powered LED placards depicting the Moon Knights, characters from the Adult uh, Swim animated TV series Aquatine Hunger Force, as improvised explosive devices, leading to a massive panic. Wow, I've never heard of that before. Holy shit. You really, like, this was, like, this was when we were in high school, right? Like, I, I, I remember it making, it making the news. Um, it's funny looking at it uh, because, it, like, it's clearly not like an IED. It's just like, you know, like a guerrilla marketing campaign. Um, it being called in as a bomb threat might actually have been the best thing for the show, right? Like, uh, you know, it's one of the, like, um, man, this is getting really far afield to video games, but, like, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember who Tucker Max is, was? I don't know. Oh my god, yes. Holy fuck. Of course I do. That was like such a huge controversy at school. Yeah. So I mean he was just like he was like a pre pre like current culture wars. Like if you called the, if you talked about him in today's terms, he'd be called like a red pill mansphere influencer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, misogynist, yeah, yeah, sure. But like people didn't talk about uh people things in, th in that sense before. But he had the same similar types of controversies around him. Uh um, but something that came out at some point was that, like, some of, like, the controversy around him was, like, literally manufactured. Like, like he had a billboard that got, like, graffitied. Um, his publicist, like, I don't, like, like, arranged for it to be graffitied, right? Like, um, do you ever, do you ever wonder what that guy is up to? Let's Tucker see what Max. he's been, you know, let's see, let's see what he's been doing. What, one half of him went and founded Newsmax, the other half became Tucker Carlson. That's my guess. No, I, oh, I, I, oh my God. I, I thought that was real. I was like, oh my God, that no, would no, actually no. sort of make sense. No, no. Uh, he's 47 now, apparently. Wow. Uh, apparently he ghost wrote Tiffany Haddish's memoir. Huh. Yeah, I, he hasn't done a lot recently. Okay, you know what? Honestly, good for you, buddy. This is the perfect kind of person who like could have fallen off of the deep end and just become like the worst piece of garbage. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait up, wait up. I, I always, my, my understanding of this guy was just always that he, he was sort of just doing kind of shock jock bits, which I'm probably pretty tolerant of. I think, I think history tends to feel good about these people after, after the fact, right? Um, uh, you know, like Lenny Bruce or something like that, right? Like from, years and years ago like the the dimensions of what we get to sort of talk about t tends to end on the side of people are actually pretty open to to this kind of thing so i i never went hard on tucker max um even if i to be fair i didn't really care also um because 
I mostly, I like, I don't drink. I wasn't part of a frat. Like I like that, just that whole sort of humor just like went over my head at the time or whatever. Um, but I also think that he, you know, like it could, he could have really gone, I don't know, down, downhill, yeah, I mean, you know, become like a right wing grifter. Right. You know, I, mean, I also think that like, you know, a lot of the history around a lot of this is still like waiting to be written. Right. Like, you know, mm -hmm. right. Like the people that you're the people that I think you're alluding to. Right. Like, you know, who knows how they will look in the rearview mirror ultimately. Right. Like the. Um, you know, at the time, Tucker Max was kind of like in the same space, right? Like, you know, um, and obviously there are some people that are worse than others, right? Like, you know, as far as we know, um, Tucker Max didn't human traffic anyone in Romania. Um, but uh, you're true. Yes. Um, and that's like a thing that you never that you never recover from. But like, you know, how I don't know, like the ultimate legacy of Jordan Peterson, who knows what that's going to be at the end of the day, right? Because he's got such, like, a mixed bag of things, right? Like, um, so. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny because, like, I think that there's a lot of, in, in a weird way, to sort of loop this back, I actually think that there's a lot of DNA in this sort of secret finding stuff to, like, what it was like. Like, I think, I think there's a, um, uh, there's a version of college that's sort of this, like, young adults playground um that becomes sort of that gives you a lot of leeway to do shit like this right um and i remember there was a lot of stuff that was just like fun interesting you know scavenger hunts all around campus or whatever um that w that has the same sort of dna as this you know, secret finding stuff. But the thing that I think is, that is, is kind of interesting is, and this maybe goes towards other points I've made on the podcast before about like standing on the shoulders of giants or whatever. When I think of when I was a little kid, what it, what it took to win a scavenger hunt or like to be good at a scavenger hunt, those, that set of skills was pretty minor, but you carry that set of skills forward. And I remember doing this sort of stuff in college, like at college, um, where there were a lot of things that just went way over my head, basically. Um, and then now we get to wow, or we get to sort of the modern era of like, you know, in, um, in FNAF, one of the ways that you discover the secrets to that game is there are tiles on the wall, right? Nine tiles will, they, they won't, re they won't register anything. Right. Um, but if you click on them like a phone number you, you or click on them as if they are a number pad. Right. Um, you can type in a phone number. And if you type in a phone number that's referenced earlier in the game, you can like hear a special phone call or something kind of along those lines or whatever. It's like I would never in a million years think to guess that that sort of shit. Right. Um, and I feel like maybe our our skills at secret finders getting uh, more and more advanced over time is. uh I don't know. That's interesting. Especially because, like, you know, the line between frustrating and satisfying is really thin. In a weird way, I'm thinking of, like, Baldur's Gate, right? Figuring stuff out in Baldur's Gate um, was really interesting and gratifying, and I, was, and I was having a great time, you know, like, figuring that stuff out for myself. Um, 
but I imagine there, but there were a couple of puzzles that I complained about, right? The one where it's the book is the answer to the thing, and I thought it was the idol of Shar, and I was like, obviously it should be the idol of Shar. I found this thing, I've kept it in Shadow Hearts inventory, put in the idol of Shar, it should work, and it didn't work, and that that's like frustrating. I don't know. I think there's, uh, I'm, I'm like, I just mentioned a million things and got really off topic, I guess. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, so I, I think I think that makes sense, right? Because like, you know. Um, escape rooms are a thing now, right? Which are like mm. based off like an early like you know early internet flash game genre, right? Like, um, and those are all curated puzzles. But it's interesting because like you know to link it to like the back halves of several previous episodes, I think that the you know the dark mirror of this is like conspiracy theories, right? Like there is some true. Secret, there is some secret knowledge that like you know like you know real Easter eggs, right? Like you know. You know, the moon landing was shot on a, a video stage, right? And if you oh then, my like, god, yeah, there are so many of these. They're so dumb. Oh my god, like, the, honestly, the, the one oh, right. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it absolutely does. But especially because I think there are a lot of things that are sort of platitudes, right? Uh, this is part of my history things, right? There's a lot of platitudes that are really interesting or straightforward, um, but like uh, you know, one of the one of the things that um, Okay, I'm sorry. Now I I do I want to talk about this back half stuff a little bit. Go for it. Um, I mentioned the JFK conspiracy, right? The JFK assassination, right? Which is frequently thought of as being a true conspiracy. Why the CIA killed JFK? I I, I didn't know this at the time, but I later saw something last week that was talking about apparently one of the Secret Service agents just published a new book with you know startling findings. He found a you know he found a bullet on the. A, a, you know, like a bullet on the floor of the um, motorcade that, you know, would have only th that only would have come if he was shot from the front, but he never talked about it or whatever. Oh, it explains the magic bullet theory. The magic bullet theory is so dumb, by the way. It is the most bullshit, stupid, idiot stuff. Um, and uh, it like it it fails to comprehend that people's bodies move. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and it's just like that stuff really like scratches an itch in like the human mind, right? But it simultaneously scratches that pattern finding itch that I was talking about, right? But also just sort of the like you've been lied to itch. There's another one of these that so last week was 9/11. Uh, a week ago actually was was 9/11. Um and in the wake of 9/11, uh did you ever see the Boondocks comics that like catapulted Aaron McGruder to fame? Uh I I did not. Uh Okay, so Aaron McGruder, very minor underground sort of comic strip artist. And then 9-11 happens and he makes a series of comic strips that are so funny. This is how the story goes. It's so funny that they get picked up by newspapers all across the country, right? And what those comic strips are is the character Huey, a 10-year-old, you know, african-american kid in the suburbs or whatever um when 9-11 happens he calls like the fbi tip line and he's like hey i know who did this uh and the fbi are like okay what's up he's like his name is you know his name is uh reagan ronald reagan r-e-a-g-a-n because he you know funded mujahideen forces in the 1980s when they were fighting against like the soviets and that's where almost osama bin laden was a part of that or whatever um, it's a very common sort of talking point about it. This is sort of like a left-leaning conspiracy theory, yeah, right? I mean, the that, idea that's, is that's that, less a cons 
it's not a conspiracy theory in the traditional sense, right? Like, there's like no, that's not a secret there. That's an ex- explanatory kind of thing, right? Like, I'm no, sure- I mean, it, I think it's more about the poetry than anything. Okay, uh, in the sense of is this idea that oh, we made our own worst enemy, right? Right. right. But the but the point is, that's not true. That's not how it. The, first of all, the Mujahideen is like a broad. This is the kind of thing this is the kind of thing that nobody like knows because nobody ever digs into the actual reality, right? Who was the person handing off money in this theoretical version of things where the CIA is funding Osama bin Laden, right? Because bin Laden is fighting in Afghanistan and he is fighting against the Soviets. We are funding the Soviet, you know, war or whatever. How's how's all that sort of work? And the question is just like who is actually doing this thing, right? And the answer is nobody. This is how it worked. The CIA provided the funding to Pakistani intelligence services, essentially, under the understanding that the Pakistanis were going to be able to, you know, disperse that funding into the Mujahideen. Um, this was all set up by a, by a Texas congressman named Charlie Wilson. There's a movie about it called Charlie Wilson's War, right? Um, this is just something that was really important because only the, the United States had the right kind of arms to take down Soviet helicopters that were just like absolutely decimating the Afghani, uh, the Afghan rebels, right? Um, but the Mujahideen is not like a, a centralized group that even was run by Osama bin Laden. First of all, Osama bin Laden is Saudi. He's not Afghani. He, and he was only in Afghanistan because there was a, you know, he was fighting, quote unquote, the jihad or whatever. Um, and he was bringing a bunch of sort of dark Saudi money to go fight in that war. But he was already opposed to the United States at that time. Right. Um, and he, he, was, and he, he comes from like a rich family, right? Like he's got like siblings that like, didn't he like go to yeah, he Harvard got, yeah, or something? He comes from a Saudi billionaire. Uh, a, there's a super famous like... Saudi family that are the Bin Laden. He's like the black sheep of that family basically went off to become crazy, right, in the 90s. Um, but so he's fighting. He is he is the leader of one of these rebel groups that make up the collective of the Mujahideen. But there's no way he, first of all, there's no way he got U.S. funding. And even if he did, he wouldn't have it. He like, Or even if it was offered to him, he would not have accepted it, right? And this is all, like, well-documented in right. essentially the history. There's no version of things where we funded and trained the uh, where we funded and trained Osama bin Laden to eventually execute this absolutely incredible one of a kind terror attack in literal like sure. world history, yeah, basically, no, right? I, I, th- I think the like the stronger version of this is like you know our meddling overseas like helped inflame these tensions that caused the kind of like you know scenario where like these these types of things would be like inc- like. United States, like you know, United States meddling caused enough animosity such that like people, like uh, terrorists, would consider this to be the type of thing that they wanted to do. But that's like a much more t- t- thousand foot level type of thing than like like you're saying. Then like you know, you know, United States. Yeah, there's also like a ton of disinformation about this. Uh, there's a really common quote that. Um is attributed to Oliver North, the Iran-Contra guy, uh, who was a Marine general at the time, where he said it, where he's reported to have said in 1986 um, during the Iran-Contra scandal that actually the most dangerous man to America is, um, an, you know, is an Islam is is a Muslim extremist in a cave somewhere named Osama bin Laden. Right? He never said this, even if he had said this, Osama bin Laden was not 
in a cave in Afghanistan at that time. He only entered, you know, the fight later down the line as part of this sort of, uh, you know, like jihad thing where they were fighting their jihad against. And the jihad was not against the United States. It was against the Soviet Union at the time, who were seen as also imperialists. Just there were there are these two imperial empires who are trying to attack the, you know, like the Islamic world or whatever. There's maybe a little bit of truth to the relations between the CIA and the Pakistani Right. intelligence agencies so broke down about like proxy war stuff you know which is you know the proxy yeah. between the united states and yeah because right? one of the things famously like rocky had like had a, a a title card that was cut that was like dedicated to the brave muhajuddin fighters of afghanistan or whatever because at that point they were you know the the view yeah. on them is they were freedom fighters against like the the soviet union oppressors continue with you yeah, like, because, uh, you know, there's also, th like, if there is one thing where America created its own worst enemy in a way, it was building up the Pakistani um, intelligence agency because they are the people through whom the conduit, they were the conduit to get weapons and aid to the Mujahideen, right, that the CIA was essentially, that was essentially giving. And then later on, that intelligence agency was also partially protecting Osama bin Laden in the hunt to actually find him, right? Like, he was famously found not in Afghanistan, but in Pakistan. Um, but even that is just like, it's not even the same, you know, like, you're talking 20 years of difference, right, between 30, right? You know, 2011 is when the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound. Um, there was actually another raid on an Os on Osama bin, La bin Laden's compound that was like, I think it was, they got their information six days out of date or something like that. Or, like, the raid took six more days, and if they had just, like, acted faster, it, it, he would have been killed in 2007. Um, stuff like that. Uh, and it's just like... This sort of conspiracy thinking, this sort of simplified thinking is almost always pretty, pretty bad, I guess I would say. Um, and uh, I don't really remember how we got onto this point. <laughs> no, no, I mean, so, so, you know, it's it scratches this itch about how, like, you know, there is some there's some secret knowledge about the world that um, only you're privy to. But part of this, yeah. that's that's like the part that ties the thing into the secrets thing is that. You know, there are these secret conspiracies behind the things, but the people perpetuating can't help but wink at you to, like, you know, be like, you know, like, this is, this is like, you know, any, any number of, like, current, like, QAnon-level conspiracies is, like, and the, you know, the initials, right, like, match this thing, right, and they're doing that, like, like, I guess the justification is just they know that they've got so much over on you that they can, like, laugh in your face by, like, putting in these obvious clues, but, like, if if you are serious about keeping conspiracy, you don't like, you know, name something an anagram of like, you know, a thing that can let you backfill it. That's the type of thing that video game developers do because it's actually an Easter egg, right? Like Yeah. Um and so like like that same kind of like itch can be successfully harvested for fun things, right? Like for video games, but also like has this darker mirror where people will like, you know, if like People, where people assume that the things are like Batman villains, right? Like that, like, you know, this supervillain, like the, the New World Order is compulsed to like leave a riddle for you to solve to like, you know, unwind, you know, like to unwind the, you know, the secret of ping pong comet pizza, right? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So the other thing about, uh, I think the other thing that people don't understand about conspiracies is the that people are prone to 
revealing them. Uh, this is the thing that got studied in 2016 in a pretty sweeping mathematical paper, right? That was sort of talking about, okay, just on it on its face, right? The more people are, who are involved in covering up a secret, the more chances that they have to reveal aspects of that secret such that it will come to light, right? A good example of this might be Edward Snowden, right? Um, he's just one guy. He finds the thing that is happening to be unethical, right? And he leaks it to the media, essentially, right? Um, and there's a bunch of different versions of, you know, like there's a bunch of different versions of this where it's just like all it takes is one person to turn against the the spirit of a conspiracy for a conspiracy to unravel and you can mathematically chart given the number of people who are in on a conspiracy how long it will take to unravel right um one of the things that they sort of uh they, they sort of talk about is if the moon landing was a conspiracy it would have included you know however many thousands of people right all these people at nasa all of these filmmakers right anybody who was working at the film set Right. These are all people who would have to be sworn to secrecy in perpetuity. Um, and sort of the model or says killed, that the host. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like and the model says that that equation, you know, would say that it would be revealed after four years. Right. Um, on, top because of, someone, on top of that, you've got like a, a, a an opposed actor, right? Like the Soviet Union is actively looking for if this was a if this was like on a movie set the Soviet Union was probably searching for evidence that was on a movie set right cuz mm. they they have like you know a reason to want that right like you know or like you know if they suspected it was true they could presumably get to the moon themselves and be like there's no american flag here right like you know that that kind of thing right like um, but yes yes that that that, that is true uh yeah. Are we gonna start? Are we some dirt talk about astronomy? <laughs> Can we talk about Theia? You know the the Mars-sized asteroid that collided with the Earth and created the Moon, and that's probably why there's life on this planet. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> Astron astronomy is fucked no matter what way you look at it, right? Just because there, like there's you know it's funny. There's also an astronomy conspiracy theory. I personally love this one because it's crazy and hilarious, uh, which is that um, the there was a massive nuclear bomb essentially that that went off in the united or not in the united states in the in the earth during this primordial era and just like tons and tons of super visible right like uranium and plutonium in this in this era which is all like super radioactive or whatever essentially creates the the most insane nuclear bomb of all time and it explodes the moon out into orbit that that one's probably not true we are pretty confident or astronomers are pretty confident in the theia theory which is you know this gigantic asteroid collides into the earth and sort of spins out um the 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 moon and and the earth but yeah it's probably why you know it's probably why there's life on planet earth yeah no i mean there's i don't know i, I don't know the astrophysics super well um and it's also one of those things where like you know just because like we don't know enough that like some things might turn out to be different right like and i don't know i don't know i i, I am speak i'm not speaking as a learned person in these things but i think there is at least some merit to the idea that maybe the original bacteria on Earth came from Mars or something, right? Like, like that's the type of thing that, like, 
might be a conspiracy theory, right? Like, you know, there, there's like a, there's like a, you know, a fucking Halo version of this where like, you know, it's the pre-runners and they like threw bacteria at it or something. <laughs> um, but like there's I I and you know, again, don't quote me on any of this. I'm not speaking as someone who like, you know, has like an authoritative view on any of this, but like it might be the case that that the their originations of life on Earth came from Mars. Um, and like but but because this is so unknown, right? Like the, like you know, astrobiology is like a very new field and it's kind of like still all theory at this point. Right. Um, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I think the, the, my understanding, there's a couple of things. One is you have to be in sort of this habitable zone where liquid water exists, um, given like sunlight or whatever. Um, uh, another thing is Jupiter is really important because Jupiter is called the vacuum cleaner of the solar system. It's so huge that it's gravity well. Um, will suck in like asteroids and comets and stuff in order to protect, you know, the like essentially the planet Earth um, from impacts that would just like devastate the atmosphere and everything, right? Um, this apparently happened in the I didn't even know about this. This apparently happened in the 90s where there was a comet that was on a collision course for Earth. But NASA scientists had figured out that it was going to get destroyed by Jupiter, but it would have been a planet. Probably, it probably would have destroyed the planet if it had hit, uh, if it had hit the planet Earth. But because when it enters the solar system, it gets warped by Jupiter's uh, gravity well, and I think it like broke up into a bunch of different pieces or something like that, right? Like um, Jupiter has a lot to do with how we are, you know, we are protected uh, from those sorts of cosmological, you know, in impacts or astro astrological impacts or whatever. Sure. Um, I think yeah. the asteroid belt also does something similar. I could be wrong about True, that. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know where the, where, I'm sorry. My brain is like all over the place no, today. We're, we're, I'm like so, having the hardest time staying anywhere on topic. Okay. This is like some derps talking about fun facts for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dirks talk about conspiracies, right? Like, you know, um, yeah. but yeah. Um, but so given that these are things that we know that like really scratches <laughs> to the human brain, what do you think makes for successful? <laughs> ARGs? Yeah, successful ARGs, successful, um, or successful kind of, like, uh, like, I guess there's two levels of this. Like, there's the ARG aspect, and there's also kind of, like, the level of satisfaction to be, or le level of complexity to be satisfying, <laughs> right? Like... But he really showing how much he needs those ADHD meds today. Yeah, yeah, listen, I didn't sleep well last night. It's the Australia launch week. Oh, it's the whole thing. Okay, um... I think, to me, the biggest thing is that there has to be a good sort of, okay, this is, okay, here, hold on. Actually, I have, I have a thing for this a little bit, which I don't know that we've ever talked about this on the podcast. Have we ever talked about my theory that there is always, that there, you know, like every game ne like necessarily has a story. There's always a plot. There's always a you narrative, this, right? I think years ago, but yes. Yeah. yeah, this is, this is one of my, this is sort of like a media theory. One of the things that's unique about games, games Require. We haven't talked about Reaganomics yet. We're not going to. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, listen, Bidenomics, man. I'm on board. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> um, the the one of the things um, that all games require, right, is interactive input. You can't have a game. Uh, the media theory is is super complicated, but one of the things that that makes games unique is the interactive nature between the sort of author and the the audience right 
a movie, when you turn it on, it just goes, it just plays, right? You don't have to sit there and watch it in order for the movie to happen. But with a game, if you walk away, the game pauses. It stays still. It can't move because it requires this sort of regular sort of input. My sort of theory on a f sort of like philo philosophical level is that this creates by necessity, a story and a protagonist, right? Because you, the player, the protagonist. Um, most stories, most protagonists are about, you know, people who are getting, you know, getting better and overcoming obstacles. It's changed. That's the story. Every, like, every story has a protagonist that changes over time. And games are fundamentally sort of these change machines, right? Because you enter in, even playing a game like Tetris, this is always the example I'm using, right? Even playing a game like Tetris, you, the player, are the protagonist, and you are changing to get better at Tetris over time, right? So that the first minute you play Tetris, you're pretty bad at it, but by the time you play Tetris for 20 hours, you're pretty good at it, right? That's the story arc of, of the game. And I view this ARG stuff in a very similar sort of vein, right? The successful ARGs to me are ones that are essentially like plotless stories in a way which are, it is about being able to, it's about like being able to make that MatPat video, right? Um, and explain, oh, what I did was I went and I, you know, like I, I manipulate, I manipulated the image in Photoshop and, and increased the contrast. And when I did that, I found that there were these hidden artifacts that spelled out a number. And then I used that number and I put this over here. And I think that when that store, when that, that puzzle is sort of a fun puzzle to recite to someone, I think that's when you have a really successful sort of ARG along these lines, right? When the puzzle is kind of esoteric and impossible to follow, that's when I think that the puzzle is unfun and uninteresting, right? When I did that ARG, um, when I did that ARG COD for, or I'm sorry, when I did that Secret in WoW for The Waking Nightmare, um, there's a piece in that that you can't solve for. You have to get to the bottom of the puzzle because it is unique to your character, which is one of the things I think is the most interesting piece of this. They basically created a puzzle that was about, um, uh, it's about, you need to, you need to highlight six beacons, right? And it's a maze. But the maze is procedurally generated based on something on like your WoW account. So every person's in every person's individual maze was different. So even if you went to WoWhead and you were going through that process, you had to you kind of like had to solve it yourself, right? Um, and that process of going through, you know, following the 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 secret as it's getting uncovered by the community keeping up with like the different you know new like stuff that's been uncovered the news the new you know clues or hints that people have found out um there's something really enthralling about that and i definitely got caught up in it i did all of this in just like in one night and i remember staying up to like three or four in the morning just to get to the bottom of it especially because that maze takes a while you basically i took it took me like two hours to get through the maze because i eventually just started charting it in an excel sheet so that I could see where I was, where I was going. And by the way, the maze is not two dimensional; it's three dimensional, which fucks with my brain so hard. But anyway, um, and uh, and I think w that's when it's satisfying, right? When it create, when it when it grips you along this sort of, 
I'm I'm solving the you know I'm solving the conspiracy theory. I'm doing the you know CSI detective work to get to get the thing done. Um, when um, I don't know when there's that that component, I and you're just sort of running through running through the steps. I think it can be satisfying as sort of like an onlooker, but I'm not sure that the puzzle itself is more is any more satisfying than that. Does that make sense? Am I am I delineating these? Maybe. Interesting. So so this is interesting because one of the things that I've been playing over the past week is I, I popped back into Baba is you. Um mm. which is a puzzle game that feels extremely satisfying when you get it, but can be immensely frustrating when you can't figure out the answer. But part of the issue is is that like like there is a puzzle that I'm stuck on right now that I could go look up the, the answer, but like that's like the entire game, right? Like, you know, sure. at that point, it's like, why am I even doing this, right? I'm just like putting in inputs. And it's not even like, you know, it's not like there's a story to the game that I'm like wanting. Like, it's not like I get a, like, you know, like adventure games with moon logic, right? Like, that's like a common thing that happens in adventure games. It's like they're impossible to like understand because like, you know, it's nonsense. Um, like those, like I have played like Deponia. I have played the first three games of the Deponia series, um, and uh, it's just like a standard adventure game, and uh, by Data Like Entertainment, um, and uh, and like at certain points, I just like didn't care, but I wanted to see the rest of the story, right? Like essentially, it was playing out like like a too complicated, um, a too complicated uh, 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 comic book. Um, and I was just, like, following the steps because I thought some of the puzzles were, were dumb. But I, I still en- enjoyed it from that aspect. But, like, um, uh, with, with Baba, is you, the only point is to actually, like, solve the puzzles. Um, and so I wonder if um, some of that is, like, the optionality of it as well, right? Like, you know, if I get stuck in the WoW thing i can always go look it up and there's like a there's like a there's like a ceiling on the level of frustration i can i can get from it um that wasn't like possible in the pre-internet era um i think that helps too right like like to your point about the story if there's a story that goes along with it right then like i'm willing to excuse the more frustrating elements because i'm at least getting something else out of it right like this um this community like this community patches like you know the, these community satchels um I literally just wanted the pet out of it. Um, and so, like, while I found it annoying, at the end of the day, I didn't care so much because, like, I could go follow a guide online and not have to worry about it. Right? Like, I... My, uh... My gut is that, like, this nightmare thing is, like, if I didn't care about solving the maze, I would be incredibly frustrated by that because, like, I don't care about solving it myself. I just want to, like... Like, I, like, I just want them out at the end of the tunnel, right? Like, you know... Um, and maybe that's part of it too, is that like, you know, the, the extrinsic reward has to like, you know, maybe this is part of it, like, like the, in, in all ARGs, right? Like the, there's an extrinsic reward at the end of the tunnel, right? Like, um, it's rarely ever like, you know, it, it's not like it's a thing. It's, it's not like a thing itself for it to be, right? It's not like the ARG is the, is the game, right? It, it it can't be because nobody can solve the game by them by themselves, right? Like it has to. There has to be like, you know, like in I love I think I love bees was like the classic Halo one. It's like you got like a trailer for Halo two or three. I forget which one. Um, and that was a thing that was shared by everybody, 
but like you know it was still like uh, an extrinsic reward at, at the end of the day maybe that's part of it too yeah any thoughts on that um there's a part of me that wants to i it's it's interesting because like Man, I really love these FNAF videos. <laughs> these, <laughs> which is sort of what I'm. It's, it sounds sure. like you're saying that is unappealing, right? Well, Wh which is just like the the FNAF video is appealing. Like, like you like the FNAF videos, right? Have you ever gone and done it yourself? Well, no, but so the, right. This is this is sort of the needle I'm trying to thread. I got the same feeling watching a bunch of FNAF. ARG lore videos, right? Where someone is unraveling the ARG in real time, right? That I got when I did the Waking Nightmare secret, right? Which was me unraveling the ARG in real time, right? And that's and that, and it's to me, it's that it's that sort of story that links those two, right? Um, because the the puzzles are are satisfying, and even though I'm just going through the steps, right? I'm just I'm just moving through, figuring, seeing how people figured out how to do what what's next was 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 interesting and kind of compelling but when ARG's like the, stuff like this has sort of missed me is sort of when that um i don't know there's something about that that doesn't make neurons in my brain fire does it make sense vaguely it's the same it's the even the, uh, it's the same phenomenon even though i'm, go I'm going through the motions in one of them i'm watching a video where someone tells me how he went through the motions in the other one i'm reading a wowhead article that coaches me to go through the motions. I feel like I'm getting the same level of satisfaction there. Is the answer just that you don't like FNAF lore videos? Mango? No, no, no. So, so here's the thing, right? Like, like unless, like, you know, like this thing you're telling me about the, the, the dial pad on the wall, right? Like, yeah. if, if the, if that pad being on the wall is like integral to this story of like, you know, the, the purple man who killed all the children put their souls in bears or whatever however that goes right like um like if that's if, if that's just like a means to the end of the story i don't think i care about the means i care about like you know i am interested in the story like in the hidden lore there right like in the same way that in like you know elden ring i am interested in fatividia breaking down you know the implications of all of these things that are on like the item descriptions Right. Um, oh, jig yeah, jigsaw puzzles. Interesting. Right. Like jigsaw puzzles are, are interesting. Like just because like when I'm not a huge fan of jigsaw puzzles. Right. Like. Um, wow. Get fucked. OK. No, no, I, in the chat. Uh, no I, I just I, I, I personally just like I, I don't find them super <laughs> compelling. Cause it's just kind of like pattern matching. Right. Like, um, you know, this is actually interesting. I don't find solving Rubik's cubes to be interesting. Once, like once they found out there's an algorithm for solving a Rubik's cube, I don't find it interesting anymore. Right? I, no. So okay, I would agree with you. Right? I would agree with you. Um, but are there? There's there there have to be puzzles where finding those algorithms is really satisfying. Right? Um. Interesting. So like. Okay. So I, I've told you about the water sort puzzles. I sometimes do. Right. Water sort. Yeah, so there are, the, there are puzzles where um, you have a bunch of vials, and the vials have colors at different levels, and you can pour one color into another color, right? But you can't pour – you can pour red onto red, but you can't pour red onto yellow, right? And you get two empty vials and a bunch of mix-matched vials, and the, the idea is you sort through all of the things until you have one vial that is solidly of each color, right? 
Okay. Uh, okay. So it's 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 a puzzle. It's it's like it's, like, it's almost like Sudoku. It's like right. uh, you know, it's like any of these sort of just sort of like puzzles. I have done a million of these, um, and I have learned a lot of like tactics and strategies. Right. For instance. It is uh, one of the things I had to learn in order to solve a puzzle was the value of an empty vial. Being able to find an empty vial, like there, you have this, you have this in the in this game or whatever. I think kind of an intuitive thing is people go, "Oh, I'm going to fill a vial." Uh, you know, I, I have a I have one green in a vial. I'm going to put all of the green on top of it. But it's actually typically better to take that one green and stash it somewhere so you have an empty vial because you can put anything into an empty vial, right? And that's really, and that's like a really valuable thing, right? That is sort of algorithmic, right? And at this point, I have kind of refined my own internal algorithm that says finding empty vials is really useful. Try and zero in on individual single vials, right? I, what I'm trying to do most of the time now is I look at a vial and I see, okay, these are the colors that I need to clear to get an empty vial. And that's what's, that's what's valuable and meaningful to me. That's stuff that I've only come to after 250 of these things or something like that. Right. Um, but it is essentially me solving an for an algorithm myself, right? That's what's compelling. In a world in which I'm doing that for a Rubik's Cube, I'm sure that I would find that compelling. But if I, in a world in which I have looked up and memorized the algorithms, I think I agree with you. Does that make sense? It, it, that, that, that absolutely does, right? Like, okay. Um, because the skill of Rubik's Cubes is doing it quickly, I don't find it interesting, right? Like, you, you yep. like, at some point, there's no point in, like, there's no point in deriving the algorithm yourself, I guess. Yeah, no, that because I, I I do some I, one of the games I play on my phone. Um, well, I've been playing Microsoft Bejeweled recently just because it's like they're on their Xbox app, and I've gone through the similar thing. But there's this this game. It's a weird game. It's like you have a, like a grid of numbers, and like there are nodes with numbers on them, and like so it's a grid, and there are nodes with numbers on them, and you can draw up to two lines out of each side, and the idea and the lines can't cross each other, and the idea is to connect the whole all the nodes together. Um, and like each node has to have the number of lines attached to it that are on its thing, but like similarly, right? Like a three with only two sides open, you have to one at least has to go in each direction because you can only you can only put two in each like you know, if a three's in a corner, right? One has to at least go right and one has to at least go down. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Megan's gonna shoot on jigsaw puzzles. Meanwhile, this guy plays the most basic ass pumpkin spice mom game so, on the market so, the reason i play microsoft bejeweled is because uh it gives me gamer pass points and eventually i will earn a month of game pass for free um and that is a very bad reason but it's also like these are the games that i play when i'm either on the toilet or when i'm listening to sure. a podcast probably both yeah um uh and so they're like they're like fairly mindless but i i, I get what you're saying right like i have developed a set of strategies around this like line linking game um that like you know yeah because to me that's maybe the dividing line right if finding if someone can pitch me on this is how i figured out the puzzle as like on on and i can get kind of swept up in that sort of story i'm on board for it right and then there's the, alter, the alternate version of if i'm put in a position where i need to derive my own sort of the, you know thoughts and theories right um uh and tactics and strategies in order to make like they work that's also pretty satisfying right the version i find unsatisfying is one where i am handed the algorithm right the rubik's cubes are satisfying wow secret finding is satisfying 
or no, I'm sorry, Rubik's cubes are not satisfying. Wow, but Wow secrets are satisfying, and FNAF lore videos are satisfying. I'm trying to categorize this so that but I can you know be consistent. I wonder you, how you much, yeah, no, I wonder how much of this is like. At least for me, it's like based on like obscurity and solvedness. How do you feel about chess? I like chess as. To be honest, I don't like chess now uh, all that much. But the thing I like about chess is that different players can have different play styles, and they are uh, relatively in a middle in like the middle range of chess playing. Um, they are relatively unique. Uh, sort of. The, okay, I'm sorry. The thing I like about chess, I used to play chess against my dad all the time, right? Um, and one of the things that's true about chess with my dad is he likes knights. He likes doing knight tricks, right? And so I know when I'm playing against my dad, his knights are really valuable. Killing his knights is huge. If I can nail his knights to the, to the wall, that's huge. My dad knows that I like rooks, right? I am looking to clear pieces off the board because the fewer rooks have a hard time moving in the early and mid game because there's a lot of pieces on the board that get all gummed up, right, with pawns or whatever. So I'm looking to trade pretty aggressively, right? I wanna I wanna break these pawn stalemates. I wanna go hard so that I can clear out the board the board so that I can find rook checkmates, right? Which are a really common way of checkmating. You you like. You put the enemy king in two lines of rooks, and that that's a that's like a, a really common checkmate. That's fun chess to me, and I think he and I have made that like he and I had a sort of a meta game that that that's fun. The version of chess that is grandmasters playing to these like memorized sort of ends and stalemates and stuff like that. I think that's boring and un uninteresting. I'm like not super into, you know, like I watched the, the down the rabbit hole version about deep blue. Do you know about this? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. No, so this, it's like that. This, this is interesting. Cause like, I, I, I feel similarly, right? Like I don't, once I found out that high level chess was like all about like memorizing plays and then kind of like doing that. It's like, I totally lost interest in it. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, there's a part of me that thinks that, like, that's also falling into the kind of, like, well, you can't play Master Yi because he's, like, not any good at plat level problem, which is, <laughs> which is interesting. <clears throat> but but I, I think part of that, too, is, one, there's, like like I said, an obscurity factor, right? Like, sure. you know, some of these games that we're, we're talking about probably have, like, solvable solutions, but, like, no one bothers to because, like, you know, like, Sudoku is popular. If you want to be good at Sudoku, you could probably go read a guide on it, right? Um but, like, these games we're talking about are, like, niche enough that no one, like, like you could maybe go find a forum with it, but it's not like, you know, it's not like somebody's writing a column about it in somewhere where you might read it incidentally. Um, uh, but, like, the other part of this, too, I think it's, like, a, a personal skill aspect, right? Like, chess does not require any, so, chess does not require any manual dexterity, right? Um, and League of Legends kind of does, right? Like, there's, like, a level of, this is why, like, they won't show you... Um, tower ranges on the ground um, because there's like a feeling this, this is also true of um, of fighting games right um, which is interesting because I was going to talk about fighting games in the back half um, and I don't have the same problems with fighting games although sometimes I kind of get close to it of like you know is a game, fighting game too close to solved for me to like um, want to play it um, but uh, yeah I, th I, th I think I think that's I, I wonder how much this it unwinds back. I think this is maybe why I bounce off of ARGs is because there's like 
basically only ever one solution, right? Like maybe, maybe I'm going to go back on my thing. Like, I think my problem with the maze thing that you were talking about is that I don't think mm -hmm. mazes are interesting, right? Cause mazes are just about like iterating until you like, you know, map out the entire thing. It's just a brute force problem, right? It's not like you have a strategy for a maze, right? Or in so far as you do, it's not like it's an iterative. It's not like you're solving a set of mazes that you can then deduce about, right? Like, my best strategy for solving any given maze as part of another set of puzzles is to brute force it and be done with it because I'm probably not going to solve another set, like, set of mazes, right? Like, if, if Dragonflight, instead of having dragon races, had, like, dragon mazes, I guess, maybe I would feel differently because I'd be, like, solving problems about it, right? Like, I, I'd be able to develop, a, a, like, my own set of internal algorithms like you're talking about. Um, but I, I, my, my sense is that mazes just, like, aren't, like, mazes are only interesting to me insofar as, like, there's, like, set theory that you can apply to it or something. Okay, so, uh, I want to say that this this maze would maybe be, this maze has some, like, interesting, it's kind of like a maze with, like, a teleporter and, like, also, like I said, it's 3D, right? So you could go, for instance, you could go in a circle and you could expect, you could go room one, two, three, four, and you could expect to go to room one, but you're actually going to room five because what you're doing is you're going down, you're spiraling down, and you are now under, room five is under room one, um, but you don't know any of this stuff, right? You just, you are walking into doors and the and the screen fades to black and it fades up to a new room with new sort of dimensions, if that makes sense, right? Um, uh, that that is what makes the the maze fun, and the other thing is the teleporting. There are spots in the maze where you were teleport to other spots in the maze, and you you kind of also need to like to do some stuff. Essentially, my point is, I think this maze maze is cool and interesting, and I love the fact that you can't you I had to solve it on the okay. spot, right? And yeah. I had to you know to be fair, I guess I could have looked up. I'm sure other people would have said, um, uh, and I and I did eventually do this, I guess. Um, I, I didn't quite solve it with brute force. I tried solving it with brute force and then I essentially solved it with, uh, cartography. I just drew a map in Excel, um, which was interesting because like it also included this problem of like, how do you represent there's one thing under another thing? How do you do 3d in Excel or whatever? But you know, like I said, it was two in the morning, but yeah, yeah. But the thing, the thing that's interesting about chess is I feel like a lot of that is about the meta, right? It's kind of like Hearthstone, right? right? Yeah. Um, or like in houses in league of legend or clash or something like that. When you're playing to an interesting meta, I think that can make a game much better. I, me playing to the meta of my dad and I, play a lot of chess against each other and know each other really well as opponents. I think that's pretty interesting, but I don't think I'm really interested in chess against randos, right? You know, it's not like I would go like queue into match made chess because like that sort of has the same feeling of queuing into match made league of legends is not super interesting because I can't see the other team. I don't know who their best champions are. Do you know what I mean? Like all that stuff, right? Um, uh, and there was another thing I was, gonna Oh, and the, my other thing about chess, which is also a little different is that, uh, and you and I disagree on this, uh, is that I think a, a core piece of strategy is reacting to the unknown, and there are no unknowns in chess, right? The only thing that's unknown is you can be surprised by, like, you know, like your opponent doing unexpected things, but everything that your opponent could do is visible to you sort of on the board. Whereas, like, to me, a good strategy game has to include some level of obfuscation, of, you know, like, whether that's Fog of War in StarCraft or the intensity of the numbers in StarCraft, that's technically not RNG, right? Um, but it's also just stuff like true RNG, or like, you yeah, know, so playing so playing a game. This is this is the thing where I did, the thing I disagree with you is not it's about the end. No, it's about, it's about randomness. 
that like I I don't like like, like pure yeah random. okay well so maybe maybe the the randomness that I think that you would probably support the most is when I load up a game of uh CK three. Total War does this. This is really what I want to say. Total War has special modifiers in the AI code that says these are great powers, right? Um, this is also true, I'm pretty sure, in EU4. I may be in CK3, but I don't know. Which is to say that when you start a new game, certain groups um, start start the game with kind of enhanced AI, they are more aggressive, they're better, they're stronger, they're smarter. Um, and that the nature of that AI means that they will snowball into some level of victory, right? So for instance, in one of my Total War games, that AI right now is the Greenskins, um, but in another one of my Total War games, that AI is the Empire, right? And that creates different contours for sort of the playing against it, right? This is maybe the, the I, I think this is probably the simplest, we, we would all probably agree, this is a pretty harmless slash good use of AI in a strategy, or RNG yeah. rather, in no, a strategy no, that's, game. That's interesting because that solves like, I know historically, like, historically I have problems with like these grand strategy games that like where the AI just kind of like, where like I, I have said before, like I don't like playing Civ against the computer because it's just kind mm. of like cheating. I like playing against uh, other players because it's like, this is exactly the type of thing you're talking about, right? Like I like playing against other players because like there's a level of like knowing your opponent that you kind of like can't like, the, the the way a Civ AI works is like, you know, it has a bunch of extra resources that you don't. And so it's hard to reason about, right? Like, um, and it's not super interesting to reason about because you're not playing against somebody smarter. You're just playing against somebody with, like, bigger numbers than you. Um, but, yeah, no, I think you're – I think you're uh, – I, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, there's, 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 like, something – I think feel like there's a thing here about, like, my desire – like, I like winning with, like, weird win conditions, like, particularly in, like, Magic the Gathering, right? Like um, – um, I think there's something there to that too, because it's about developing a strategy that like is is like you know, not typical. Like I, I watch some Magic the Gathering content now, um, and like I do not care about like any meta discussion stuff. I just care about like you know, um, cool cards doing cool things, doing cool combos, right? Like, um, no, I completely understand. This is why I think Commander is the better version of Magic rather than you know typical sixty card. So I, like I don't know if it's <clears throat> like Commanders. Neat. <coughs> I actually kind of like. I think this is like a. This is, I think, my point to the obscurity thing is like, I like formats with restricted card sets that aren't popular because, like, no one's solved them yet, essentially. Right? Like, oh, interesting. Sure. Right? Like, you know, fine. Like, it is. I think Popper is a big enough format that, like, it's pretty solved now or it's got a pretty heavy meta around it. Um, but, like,. I think there's a point in like in like something like a format like that. It's like you can only use this stuff, and you can go for it, and and, and you can figure out your own way to to win. Um, and it's not like you'll get blown out of the water every time. I think I think Popper still holds on to that a little bit just because like the power level is a little bit suppressed, right? Like one of my one of my frustrations with Magic: The Gathering is like unless the thing I cooked up on my own happened to be a meta deck. Um, like the, the way I usually deal with this is I ignore the meta entirely, put on blinders, and like I play what I want. But like usually that like tops me out around like gold in arena, and it's like I don't want to go. If I have to go look online to find a meta deck, I will stop having fun. I don't like you know piloting a deck is not the fun part of Magic to me. It's it's building the fun deck. Um, yeah, that is interesting because like uh, 
I I like playing inside of the meta. I like choosing a deck inside of the meta and getting really good at that deck because you then it's about like matchup spreads, right? And it's like, can I can I beat this spread essentially, right? If you know control warrior into control warlock is sixty forty, you know, can I be part of that forty essentially, right? Um, and uh, and I think that stuff is is pretty interesting. But I feel like that's like two two sides of the coin because I also do like you know one of the things I also like doing in Hearthstone sometimes. Is just like piloting off meta decks and using like the off meta advantage, right? Um, I was playing a deck not long ago that was an incredibly hyper aggressive war. Right now, the best warrior deck in the game is a, is a control warrior deck, right? Um, it sort of stalls for a while, it finds a win condition, and then it blows you out of the water with this huge armor gain and a card that says every time you gain armor, you gain that much attack, right? And so you just play a bunch of shield blocks and you know, whatever, and you gain 20 attack and then you hit them in the face for a million damage, right? Um, and I was playing an incredibly aggressive deck, right? Because the thing is, when people are playing against Control Warrior, they're playing, they're like, oh, I'm going to mulligan for the late game, right? And then I, I hit there and I play just the most aggressive, powerful, beat your face, you know, version of like a warrior deck and you're taking advantage of sort of the off meta you know, thing, but yeah, I agree with you. It, I don't know that you could. I, I don't know. I think you can get legend with anything in Hearthstone. To be honest with you, um, it's mostly just uh, reps. If I'm being completely honest, right? Uh, and uh, I think th I think the biggest mistake that people make when when climbing to legend in Hearthstone is they switch decks. Uh, mm. The best way to get legend in Hearthstone is to just make one deck and get really good at piloting it. But you're getting really good at piloting it into the meta, right? You have to understand the meta um, in order to in order to kind of get there. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's that Interesting. stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think we've started blending into our week, so I'm going to talk about something that's like sure. relevant there. I finally hit Platinum uh, in <gasps> Street Fighter on Zangief. Um, Let's go. Platinum is top 30% of players. So it's not like super impressive or anything, but like um, it's interesting because like I feel like the, the way I kind of like leveled up my game is I want. So uh, there is this commentator, say jam has a YouTube channel, <laughs> mostly streams like his YouTube channel. is like clips from his, his stream. Um, I started like he's doing this thing where he climbs to master on all the characters because it's like his fundamentals are super good. And like, you know, it's like, you know, and so I, like, watched him play a bunch of Zangief, even though that's, like, not, like, his preferred style of character. And it's, like, I just, like, started picking up things he was doing, and that, like, really up-leveled my game, which felt, like, very satisfying, right? It's, like, oh, like, there's this combo that he kept doing, and, like, breaking that down understanding why it worked. Um, essentially, so Zangief has, Zangief's forward heavy punch is a headbutt. Um, classic Zangief move. The thing that I think is typical of this move, and it's definitely true in this game, is that it is a plus on block, which means... Um, you still have advantage, even if the move is blocked, you still have advantage, you still have, it's still your turn coming out of it. And so this thing he would do is um, this, this headbutt into a hell stab into a lariat. Um, and the thing there that is interesting is that's like a classic frame trap. So uh, uh, for those at home that don't know, a frame trap is like, you know, so the headbutt gives me advantage on block, um, but there's still a gap there. So like, uh, there's essentially a, after I headbutt, um, to do the hell stab, there will be a three-frame gap where the opponent can do something. But like, I think the fastest move in Street Fighter is four frames. Um, and so, like, if they hit a button, I will hit them with the hell stab, right? And that will combo into the lariat. Um, and so they kind of have to block. But like, 
it works well enough because people don't always know that and know that's what you're going for. Um, and so the game then is like I headbutt, I, I, I health stab, and I larry. And I do that enough times so that, like, you basically condition them to block. And then when they block out of the headbutt, I do a, I do a, a spinning pile driver, which is um, it's a grab, so it'll beat the block. But it's slow enough that they could theoretically beat it with a jab. Um, mm-hmm. or like a, or like a jump or something like that. And so like that kind of interaction, um, was basically what put me there. And that's also like super fun to me, like, like learning all those things. And like a lot of Zangief's game plan is about, um, conditioning and also cold reads, right? Like some of the most satisfying moments to me are like, like this guy jumps a lot, right? Like it's like, um, because one, one of the easiest ways to get out of, like when you are standing up out of down, Right. One of the easiest ways to beat uh, a throw is to jump because you can't throw somebody who's in the air, right? Um, and, like, if I see that this guy constantly jumps, Zangief's level one super is an anti-air. Um, and so, like, like the smarter way to do it would be to wait for the jump and do it on reaction because I think you could still do that. But, like, I will, like, put in the input and throw it out and the person will, like, you know, be, like, one frame in the air and it'll work, right? I'm just like, oh, that feels so good. Um and so that's things that that's kind of, that I think this ties into this discussion, right? Like this one of the things I like about Zangief a lot is like he's very reads based. Um, it feels really good to do reads. Um, there's also another thing that um, Say Jam has been doing, which he, or was doing in his streams where he's like getting Zangief up to mastery. It's like he will jump and say, "I bet you, I bet they won't expect this," and just like throw out his level three ult, um, and it works a fair amount of times. And it's like maybe I should do that more. And I, I do it more, and it works. It's like, oh, it feels so good. <laughs> uh, part, part yeah, of- I feel you. I think getting those sorts of just, like, beating them on the read is the most satisfying shit. I, I don't know. There are some times where – this happens to me in Hearthstone pretty commonly where um, something that somebody said once that has really stuck with me is you have to play to win. You can't play to not lose. Have you ever heard that? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. People, I, I have also heard this in in regards to like magic, right? Which is that like a lot of the times people will um, obsess defensively, right? They will, you know, their their point is not um, is they they are not looking for game winning plays. They are looking for not losing plays, right? So an example of this was I was playing a game of Hearthstone uh, recently where I was playing Control warlock and i was playing against another control deck and that control deck had summoned a lot of big guys on the board but i was at 30 health right i was i was really healthy actually i think i was more i was maybe like 38 health or something like that i had uh, i had this weapon equipped um and i uh and I realized I had two turn lethal uh, if they if I played around this right right I basically had the choice between I can clear their board you know they had a bunch of big guys they were maybe let's say they were dealing like twenty five damage to me if they just sent everything face right um, but. I could also sort of set up for lethal by instead of playing my defensive cards, play offensive cards, and I and I went, um, uh, and so I instead of clearing their board, I just kind of went face, and I felt like I was in that guy's head where he was like, he doesn't, he doesn't have, he doesn't have it. I'm just gonna, 
I'm just gonna hit him in the face with all of my with like all of my shit. And he got me down to like eight HP, but then the next turn I just won, right? Because I had set up the previous turn for this sort of uh for this sort of like lethal. And I feel like that is a is a skill that I see a lot of people lack, I guess, in these kinds of um, you know, competitive sort of like PvP games, right? Um Yeah, no, that's they're just like, yeah. That's that's definitely true. Uh <laughs> definitely like, if I want to talk about an example from us, right? We were playing Commander at PAX uh, East, mm-hmm. and like that game where like I was just like dominating with with AC the guy or straight. I was just like I was playing way too defensively, and I was like refusing to, to kill people. But you're absolutely right. The, the the thing to do there is to just like go for the throw. Um, no, that, that 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 makes that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you because there's that feeling of um, commander. It's also interesting because there's like big groups and swinging leaves you feel, like makes you feel very vulnerable, right? Because all of your stuff is tapped or whatever. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's something about there's something about going. I was you know what I was doing? I was playing poker actually. Funnily enough, a couple of weeks ago, and um, I ended up losing uh, to. Honestly, I would say some fucking, I would say some like bullshit. Um, but you know, it was just like a bunch of us. We were just like killing like an hour or two before we were going to dinner or whatever. Um, so I was like, I was like playing really aggressively. Uh, but I think everybody at the table just had it. Maybe they hadn't played a lot of poker before or whatever. They were very like, you know, with their chips. I was like constantly like pushing people all in, right? If I thought I had a winning hand, um, if I thought I was going to, if that, if I thought I was going to like take, uh, if I thought I was going to take it, I was driving people in because you have to play, you know, I don't know. You have to play aggressively, which is funny because typically, you know, that's like the opposite of what a control player likes, right? I like being defensive. My, my typical state of, you know, state of being is to play defensive in a lot of these kinds of games. And I think of myself as being a defensive minded player. It is, it is more fun to me to win a game of Hearthstone where I run an aggressive deck out of resources and I weather a ton of hits and then I go over the top for the victory than it is for me to play a game of Hearthstone where I, I stick a bunch of minions in the first four turns and just go face and I and I like, you know, that but uh I don't know, there's something about playing to playing to win versus playing to not lose that has been on my mind a lot recently. Oh, see, this is interesting because I think this like back in like early Hearthstone where it's like, you know, faces to place like face hunter right like i think that's like a lot of people like it's funny because like that archetype is like play to win right like don't play that mm. and like because that play style was like what it was it, like i think it forced a lot of people who otherwise don't play that way into that kind of mindset which is uh which is interesting right it's like you know just go face right like don't don't think about it go face and that but that is like forcing the play to win type of aspect right like um i think that's neat I miss those days. Well, I guess I don't super miss those days of Hearthstone because Control Warrior still exists and everything like that. But Control Warrior and Classic was a lot of fun for that sort of reason, right? Because uh, you could – it's it's a lot harder in modern Hearthstone to run aggressive decks out of resources. That's just, like, not a thing that happens as much anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, the, back in the day, that was the, you know, getting a zoo deck – just clearing a zoo deck board every every turn, you know, turn after turn. That's, like, a fun thing, I guess. <laughs> Um, anyway, what else have you been playing? Have you been playing Starfield? I have not. Um, <laughs> uh, just between like other other uh, kind of like uh, uh, things that have been taking up my time. Um, not because I don't like it, but like I wanted, I want, I've been putting more time into Baldur's Gate. Um, I've been playing a lot of like. Been, part of this is like a lot of my time over the past <laughs> week has been like 
short burst and so that street fighter or baba is you right like not like um you know something like Baldur's Gate or starfield where i need to you know have a chunk of time that i can sit down and sink into um and so that's that's the difference uh there something i i have been doing is watch rewatching some um like we were talking about these like bunches of king of these secret stuff i went and rewatched mandalore gaming's set of videos on the marathon series uh, oh like, sure yeah because um, that that's a game that has like that's a game series that has a bunch of like nonsense like hidden information in, in it about like what the real story is uh, so that was fun um but uh yeah but what about you what have you been playing uh, Total War is a big one. Starfield. Uh, we finished Baldur's Gate, I guess is one thing I will say. We finished Baldur's Gate. Gotta be honest, I was a little disappointed by the end because of how some stuff played out. Um, are you in Baldur's Gate yet? I think technically. I just got past the, the Steel Watcher who, like, I... Okay, so you got, you got through the gate? Yeah. Did you go to the Coronation? No. You would have gotten that quest, I'm sure, right? Uh, so I jumped around the... Like, I jumped into the city behind... Like, I, I jumped past the Steel Watcher on, like, the backside. I think there's a way to do that. Um, oh. Uh, and I basically the only thing I have done in the city right now, and I don't know if I'm, like, truly in the city in the city, is I, like, went to the brothel and looked around, mostly because I was solving the murder in the abbey right oh okay so you're not at the coronation part yet here's here's my recommendation when you get the quest for the for the coronation do do that quest rachel and i basically figured out that um the game has a lot of tolerance for a lot of different game states but we fucked up a bunch of quests because you go to a thing you get this invite to the coronation and we're like we'll go to the coronation later and we didn't, and we did everything, literally everything else in the city, and we did the coronation last. But because we had cleared through all of these like quests or whatever, um, it didn't trigger properly, and it basically kind of like, oh, kind of like fucked the whole back end of the you know like experience for us, which is really like unsatisfying if I'm being honest. Um, some just some quests that should have had satisfying resolutions didn't have satisfying resolutions. Um, because of how we chose to sort of, because of how we chose to sort of approach things or whatever. Uh, but it's not. But like, it's also so far back. Like we did everything in Baldur's Gate. We did every side quest we possibly could before attending this coronation ceremony, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Don't make my fucking mistakes, Mango. No, that's, that's <laughs> it's interesting because, like, you know, this is, we've talked about like how it feels like like they apparently put a lot of effort into like making that hard to do in general, right? Like I was watching a video this week about how like, if you, if like the um, tieflings in like in town, in, in the grove get killed, uh, mostly if you kill them, there are replacement NPCs that will show up for them. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, including, this is the one that apparently doesn't work super well, but like, like it's a little bit buggy, but like, if you have a part, a character in your party in the grove, when the rest of your party kill, like finishes the goblin fort, there's a character that will run in and tell you that everybody's leaving, um, so that it doesn't feel, it doesn't like, it doesn't like, you know, they don't just like disappear. Um, 
<clears throat> when you come back, which is, uh, like, it's like, the title of the video is like, only 0.01% of people have seen this character. I've been getting increasingly annoyed by YouTube video titles. Um, <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know. It was, it was, it was frustrating. We, the... the Act 3 is really unpolished. There's a lot of bugs. We ran into a lot of issues. There's a bunch of quests that are uncompletable because, like, just how we chose to tackle those quests kind of left them in our inventory, right? Like, so where it's like, you know, we have to go talk to a guy and he's dead on the ground. There's nothing you can do. That quest is forever in our fucking inventory, right? Because it just, like, didn't, you know, it, like, didn't update properly. You know, I don't know. Is what it is. Um, overall, I still had a very good time with Baldur's Gate. I want to play more Baldur's Gate at in just sort of, like, a party setting um, in the sense of, like, playing it like an adventure path where we all sort of know where this is going. We know where this is headed. We know where some of the stuff is, right? Um, I found a bunch of cool stuff that's, like, oh, I would love the idea. But the really thing I want to play is I want to play with no companions. I want to play the game with no companions. I want to say... It, this is a group of four of us. We're the only people who are ever going to be in this party. We're going to not invite any companions along for the ride, right? And we're just going to kind of play this like we are, you know, like these characters or whatever. Um, uh, which I think would be like fun and interesting. And I think it would be cool because you could do stuff like I want to go to this place where I know there's a really crazy sword for my build or, you know, so, something like that. Right. I think that would be like, uh, that would be a lot of fun and a lot of interesting. I will say something that's fun. We did all of Baldur's Gate in two long rests. Um, uh, we, we long all, all rested one time. Yeah. All of the time we long rested one time. <laughs> we kind of entered the city after a, a long rest and then, uh, and then we did a bunch of stuff and then we did one long rest in the middle and then we did a bunch of other stuff and that was it. That was how we did the, you know, that was how we did the game. I want to play a version of it where there are no long rests. Actually, I want to do all of Baldur's Gate in one day, no long rests. Uh, cause I did sort of find a cheeky exploit in order to get there. Um, and I think it would just sort of be like a funny, almost like speed run challenge thing to do. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to. Yeah, there's. I'm not going to worry too much about it. It's, it's funny because. So apparently, that skill, that, that spell pre preparation <coughs> thing, apparently, like, the intention is you can prepare spells as long as you're not in combat. Like, you can switch up prepared spells, which feels incorrect to me. But, you know. Like, why would I ever have not prepared in combat? Um, yep. Listen, you got it because of door tech, obviously. You're going to close the door in combat and then, or I guess. The arcane lock I don't, would be the one. That yeah, I that use. arcane lock would be the one yeah, I'm thinking of. Yeah, for sure. Okay, very cool. Uh, what else happened? Um,. I played Starfield. I played some. I played some. We played some of this D and D game, which was honestly very funny. Uh, Rachel, um, I'm playing. So I'm playing Mateo Vasquez, and Rachel was just sort of like, "Introduce yourselves. What are you doing?" And I decided to do a bunch of bullshit. I was like, "Okay, Mateo walks into the city in handcuffs. He's in." He's in shackles. There's a big long chain because his smuggling ship has been arrested by the port authority, right? Um, and uh, and we did, you know, I but I I I you know I had palmed uh, I had palmed my thieves' tools and I and I picked the lock and then I locked one of the guards to the or I attempted to lock one of the guards to the chain um, or whatever. It's just like a bunch of stuff, you know. I, in in the middle of combat, I pickpocketed him to steal his. Um, to steal his keys and then I threw it to other people in the chain so they could start like like unlocking themselves. It's just like a bunch of that sort of stuff that that's fun. Uh I just like I, I think part of 
I think part of what attracts me to D&D is cockamamie is these cockamamie schemes it's like the thing i was explaining before about how i was playing a warlock and i had two eldritch blasts per or I had two bolts per eldritch blast and i had one pull a guy and then the other push him to make this like slingshot effect happen it's just like dumb shit i just want to do that right i i want every i want every round of combat every time somebody calls on me to like be some cute funny thing to like trick people some or whatever sense, yeah yeah, some, yeah, so hijinks. We were calling them hijinks. Uh, and the funny thing is that my hijinks, uh, the people who are up, uh, who are involved in my hijinks, um, is um, Warren uh, is playing a barbarian called Geth. And uh, and Geth is the straight man to Mateo's hijinks, right? Where, where you know, Mateo is, like, doing all of this, like, crazy dumb bullshit. And Geth is there to kind of, like, pull his, you know, is is pull his, his feet from the fire kind of thing. Which I think is a very fun dynamic. Wooster like um, yeah. and Jeeves type thing. Yes, yeah, very similar to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I get that. So the, the thing that is happening in the one... Uh, D&D or the one Pathfinder game that I'm playing is like my this is a, I think I've talked about this before my character is a uh, a cleric of Abadar lawful neutral and like mm-hmm. we went and fought a uh, magma dragon and uh, like the uh, the dragon says to us why are you here and I, my character says you're under arrest for you know like he, he basically his, his whole thing is like you know you violated the law you're under arrest come come willingly or face the consequences, right? And so every time I say you're under arrest to like anything, it gets like this big fucking laugh line from the rest of the party. Like, <laughs> Stop right there, criminal scum. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, I will say, so, you know, funnily, think, speaking of Stop right there, criminal scum, I, so I've been playing a bunch of Starfield uh, where Mateo Vasquez is also e- existing as a space smuggler. Um, and I am now doing this thing where... Uh, in, in Starfield, you have to complete challenges in order to level up skills, and I want to get better. I want to become a better pilot. I want to pilot better ships. Um, and so uh, I have been flying, but I have joined the, the, the Crimson Fleet, the Space Pirates. So my new thing has been flying around trying to find ships, and then I will just blow up the, the, Crimson, the, uh, the Crimson's fleet starships that, that I encounter. Um, and then... Um, I'll blow up the Crimson Fleet starships, and then uh, and then I'll go to the Crimson Fleet, and they'll be like, "Hey guys, what the fuck?" And then I just pay them off. I just pay them money uh, for like the bounty or whatever. Um, I have also paid the bounty a couple of times to the United to United Colonies because uh, I don't have a hundred percent chance of sneaking contraband into play things, and so if they scan me correctly, I just warp jump away. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then I will come back and they'll and I'll have a big bounty. It'll be like fifteen hundred credits or something or whatever. But I will have sold my contraband at the time, and it's like you know what? I'm willing to pay a fifteen hundred dollar you know credit tax in order to you know in order to continue. So it's been pre- it's been pretty funny, honestly. I this uh, part are, are you, of real quick. Are you are you familiar with uh, with Trailer Park Boys? Uh, uh, mm, sort of not not super. There is a. Uh, there, there's this famous meme image. It's one of the characters, and he's talking to like 
the 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 guy like the, the police officer in the trailer park. He's like, I'm gonna pay you a hundred dollars to fuck off. Um, and <laughs> you're, you're, you're that's kind of what it is. Yeah. So because you get these, uh, so you get bounties, and at, you can make. I have an outpost, right? I've made my like little base. The outpost stuff, I think, is kind of whatever. Um, having an okay time with it or whatever. But um, you can build a self-service bounty board where you can just walk up to a computer and pay your bounties, right? Um, to be fair, it doesn't always work correctly, um, and uh, I did, in fact, once... Um uh, I got a, I got a, I ran up a big bounty and I went to the bounty board and they're like, you can't, you can't buy your way out of this. And so I was just like, you know what? It's fine. And so I went, I flew up into space in my, in my ship and I let them take me to jail and I paid off my bounty that way. Um, but you know, it, it, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. It's pretty, it's the, the stories of space smuggler Mateo have been more fun now that it's finally clicked for me. It took me maybe like 10 hours to get into, uh, you know, I don't know, to get into the Starfield experience. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Is there anything maybe else? Maybe that's it. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we, uh, no, I guess not. Well, I mean, I, I guess this usually comes at the end of the, the end stuff. But I'm going to scoop you. I'm going to say, Australia comes out on the 21st. Go buy it and play it. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, you should, you know, Buddy works for them. I I guess I, I tested the game in, like, a slightly greater than normal capacity. Um, it's a great game. I enjoy it. But, you know, take that with the appropriate grain of salt. Um, uh, what else? Uh, if you'd like to uh, send this emails about what we talked about in this podcast. You can email us at games at gmail.com or podcast.com. Uh, if you want to tell us, you can email us about any things we talked about. You can email us about the truth behind the JFK assassination if you happen to know that. <laughs> um, rate, uh, rate and review us on, uh, on iTunes or wherever you find good podcasts. Orion in the chest is Mango, world's best Australia player. I don't think I'm better than Buddy. Um, Buddy probably has more hours on it than me. I actually checked. I have like 20-some-odd hours on it. Uh which, you know, for a game that's not released yet, that feels pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I have uh, 285 wow. hours on it. <laughs> and that doesn't include any of the pre-release, like, versions that I was not playing on, you know, like, on Steam. Yeah, so we got a couple of folks. Um, uh, we got a couple of folks uh, who had, don't take it from me, you can take it from Retrovation, who said it's a god-tier uh, new roguelike, and then Wanderbots, also said he was his most anticipated roguelike of 2023. Um, uh, in, made a he, he made a video. And slightly more uh, mainstream stuff. Didn't PC Gamer just drop a review? I think I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, PC Gamer's review X. was also insanely good. Where the fuck was it? Um, the PC Gamer review was... Uh, God, where the fuck was it? There's like... There's a, such a so... There's such a good quote in here. Um... I don't know if there's been a true breakout deck builder since Monster Train, but I wonder if this could be the one. That was the thing that they said that I was really happy about. It's an excellent so, game. Yeah. I highly recommend it to, to everybody at home. Uh, rate review us on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. All the links are in the description. Besides, Australia, you have anything you want to promote, buddy? Uh, no, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Well, in that case, I'm going to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.